You're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you something, people. Uh, years ago, five years ago when I was in L.A., I, I did a little bit of acting here and there, and I answered a casting call uh, that someone sent it to me, and it said they were looking for people who could look like the news from Huey Lewis and the News. And I, I had a headshot with a cool hat and glasses, and I looked hip, so I sent it in, and they picked me. So I got chosen. I went on the Ellen DeGeneres show, and we had this scene where in the very beginning she had said how she won she had her posse so she called out selena gomez selena gomez came out carrot top came out the girls from fuller house came out and then she goes you know i also hang out with musicians you know huey lewis in the news i hang out with the news and four of us walked out dressed exactly like the picture they had given and the crowd went nuts because i think they actually thought we were the news because they were very young now when i did that interview i never thought that you know Five years later, I'd be interviewing one of the original members of the news. He was over there for 20 years. He was a guitarist. And my guest is uh, Chris Hayes. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, so I want to ask you, I, I, was doing, I was reading up on you, and it said you started playing guitar at nine, and you're from a family where there's seven kids and a lot are musicians. Where did you fit in in the age group? Like, Were you middle child or where were you? I was. Uh, my, I have two older sisters, and um, I've got one younger sister. I'm the oldest boy, and I've got three younger brothers. So I have. We have seven kids in our family. So I'm the oldest boy with two older sisters. Now, were your older sisters involved in music? Yes, my my. Well, my oldest sister Bonnie Hayes um, is is a songwriter and, um, you know, worked with um, Billy Idol and uh, a couple of people. She wrote a bunch of songs for Bonnie Raitt. And uh, she is now the uh, songwriting chair at Berkeley School of Music in Boston. So, yeah, she really was really, you know, and then she had her own band for years and stuff. And then my other sister, my my other sister, Roseanne, um, play, you know, she plays guitar and sings a little bit and plays in the church and stuff like that. So. Now, were they an influence on why you picked up guitar at a young age? Uh, no, actually, what, what happened there was uh, my dad was a, a doctor and a piano player, and um, he used to play uh, a lot of classical music in the house. Um, he was a pretty good pianist, actually, um, uh, and uh, he he was he was into classical and jazz music. So he was always playing like Dave Brubeck, and you know uh, he was way into Brubeck and um, and uh, uh, you know bossa nova type stuff. And then he played a lot of Bach and a lot of Beethoven. So you know I I was hearing that a lot. And then of course he made us all take piano lessons at a pretty young age. So I started out on piano. And I, I really, I liked it, but um, I, when I was in second grade, I went to uh, um, an assembly, and there was a kid there that came out and played for us. I think he might have been in fourth or fifth grade. He was one of the older kids. He might have been in sixth. I don't know how old he was. But anyway, it was uh, elementary school. And he comes up on stage. He's got a red electric guitar with a curly cord, and, and he had kind of long hair. And I went, oh. I think that's me. I think that's who I who I want to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just went, okay, that's that's definitely something that I, I I'm attracted to. So uh, so I begged my mom and dad to buy me a guitar. Yeah. And they 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 kind of took their time. I didn't get it till the next year. Um, they you know they were still forcing us to take piano lessons, but I they finally relented and then bought me an electric guitar and an amplifier. And, you know, that from then on out, it was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I love this. This is fun. So, now, so that's kind of how all that happened. Now, when did you start? Did you start from the beginning playing jazz guitar? Because I heard you played jazz and folk in the beginning, which for a nine-year-old, that seems pretty, I know you listen to it, but that seems pretty, pretty uh, old. I mean, that seems very well, precocious. Yeah, I, I don't know. I You know, I started out playing uh, folk music, real, you know, folky <coughs> kind of, you know, um, campfire type stuff. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't really get into jazz until I was in uh, in high school, really, you know. <clears throat> but I did hear a lot of jazz around the house. Like I said, my dad was, was really into Brubeck, and and, uh, um, and he was into Miles Davis and stuff. So, you know, I, I was listening to a lot of jazz, even though I didn't know, you know, it was just sort of, uh, you know, 
uh, going into my mind through my ears, and I, I, I wasn't really aware of what was happening there. You know, but, uh, you know, when you're starting out on guitar, you learn all those, you know, campfire songs and stuff. You know. yeah. Now, when you were in high school, did you join the, like, the marching band or any of the bands or orchestras, or did you start your own bands? Well, you know, when I got into school, I realized that the music classes didn't really have anything for guitar players. I mean, at that time, you know, I mean, I'm born in 1957. I'm 62 years old right now. So, you know, back in the 60s, they didn't really have much um, in terms of guitar music classes. Um, it was all band music. And I wasn't really interested in band music. I liked guitar stuff. So I kind of was forced to... Uh, well, I did go to a music school when I was a troubled teen. Uh, my mom sent me to a music school, and that kind of saved my life a little bit. It kind of got me out of the, some of the bad stuff that I was doing back then. And then, um, so I, I, I did go to music school there, but, but in school itself, no, there really wasn't much there for me. Although my senior year of high school, I did teach the guitar class. So that was fun, because my senior year was like the easiest year ever in high school. I had uh, guitar class, uh, weight training, um, <laughs> civics, and, uh, you know, it, it was, and ceramics. And then I'd go, and then I'd, I'd leave at like 1230 and take the bus over to Blue Bear School of Music over out in the avenue in the, in the uh, Sunset District out there um, and uh, teach guitar lessons. So it was, I had a pretty good senior year. Um, it was pretty sweet. So. So, so when you when you get out of high school, <clears throat> yeah. when do you decide that you're going to make music your career? And how do you go about it? Well, I, when I, while I was in high school, I also had a band with my sister and my brother. My brother is a drummer, and he plays with, he, he used to play with Robert Cray, and he played with, uh, you know, B.B. King, and a, a bunch of other, Etta James, all kinds of people. He's like a blues drummer. And uh, so I had a band with my brother and my sister Bonnie and myself and um, Tony Saunders, who's Merle Saunders' son, um, uh, Frank Holder, uh, who's a, a Filipino uh, percussionist, um, a guy named Jimmy Nadell, who's a saxophone player. He, he does the Stanford Jazz Workshop now, and um, see who else is in the band. Um, oh, and there was a guy named Van Bailey. We had one time we had two percussionists <laughs> and you know we had to let one of them go so. uh, but it was fun we had a good time with that so I did that when I was in high school uh, in my junior and senior year and coincidentally um, we actually opened up a couple of shows uh, for Huey it, had a, it was in Clover at that time uh, we opened up a show for them at the Lion's Share in San Anselmo when I was still in high school of course, we, I didn't really meet them or anything. We just opened up the show for them. I don't think they could be bothered with our, their, their little high school band, <laughs> you know, thing. But uh, <clears throat> we opened up one show for Sound Hole, I think, and then, uh, or maybe it was just the one show that we did with them. It was maybe Sound Hole and Clover, and then us opening. So there was a show where I actually opened up for my future bandmates, which was kind of interesting. I think I was uh, maybe a junior in high school at that time. So That is pretty wild. Now, now, did you go yeah. over to Europe to play for a while, too? Um, I, well, sort of. I went on the road with... Uh, I, I, played, I used to play in a band uh, with Dave Liebman and Pee Wee Ellis. I don't know if you know who those guys are. Mm -mm. Dave Liebman is a uh, jazz saxophone player. He played with Miles Davis and, you know, Elvin Jones. He's a really good tenor saxophone player from from New York. And then Pee Wee Ellis is uh, <clears throat> also a great tenor saxophone player, played with James Brown for years and George Benson, and, and he wrote Cold Sweat. So he's like, you know, just an amazing saxophone player and played with James Brown for years, you know. So so I, I played in a band with them, and um, we ended up, um, we were together for about a year or so in the state. We did an album and stuff. And then um, after that band sort of <clears throat> uh, dissolved, Kiwi uh, hired me to go on the road with him because he was the music director for Esther Phillips. Uh, I don't know if you remember who she was, but she, she had a song called What a Difference a Day Makes. Okay. It was kind of, kind of a disco song in the 70s. And, uh, uh, and she uh, did a tour of Europe. So that was the first time I ever got to Europe. I think I was maybe 19 or 20 or something like that. 
So now, um, you maybe, play, maybe, yeah. So you played in Europe and you played with her. Now, now you yeah. come you come back to the states. How does Huey Lewis and the News form? I mean, how do you meet them? And it's just you're right. It's crazy that you played for Clover and Soundhole. And I'm guessing Clover was a pretty big Bay Area band. How did how did you guys how did you meet them? Well, I um, I was living in an apartment with uh, my my good friend Don Moss, who's a bass player, and we you know we had a band together for years, and he's a, he was a jazz guy. And we you know uh, we were living in this apartment in Marin, um, and um, and Huey used to come to the neighbor's house. He, he was friends with the neighbors that lived next door to us. So that's how I, I um, the, the lady that lived next door said, hey, uh, this guy, Huey, is looking for a guitar player. Um, or, do you want to, you, uh, you know, try out for his band? And at that time, I was looking for all kinds of, I needed work, you know. So I was like, yeah, I want to try out for his band. I was already in about three or four bands already, but. Um, I, I said, yes, definitely I want to try out for his band. So I went and tried out, and then that's how I kind of how I met those guys. You know, I, I just went and, because uh, they were looking for a guitar player. So, so you join them, and what's your course of action now? You're in the band. Do you have a recording uh, contract in place, or do you guys have to start going to the clubs? I mean, did, did Huey have connections from his Clover days, or were you guys just get going from scratch, going head on, saying, we're going to do this? Well, I think uh, Huey had had just you know gotten off of a, some. They, they had made an, an album in England. They went to England to try to uh, to, to become famous over there. And I guess you know, I mean, they had a, 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 a modicum of success over there, but it wasn't anything that they could bring back over to the states. So they came back, and Huey wanted to form another band. So um, you know, basically, what happened was is we kind of did a bunch of club stuff and. Um, and and gradually over the course of a few months, uh, we ended up getting a management contract with Bob Brown, <clears throat> who managed Pablo Cruz. And then um, shortly thereafter, he negotiated a record deal with us. And you know, so when we got the the management contract, we were it, it allowed us to just focus. It allowed me, for example, and for a couple other guys in the band, to be able to just focus on that band and not have to do other jobs. So you know, we we were on a little bit of a salary from Bob, and um, and then and then we just kind of exclusively worked with the, the Huey Lewis. Um, you know, at that time <clears throat> it was called. We were going with the American Express. That was the name we wanted, uh, but that didn't work out for us because I don't think American Express wanted <laughs> right. that. <laughs> They'd be like, "Wait a second, guys! No, come on! You, you know, it'd be great for you guys because don't leave home without it. You'd be getting." Maybe you're going to be buying your album, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so how I know you through the career with uh, with the band, you did writing. Uh, you a bunch of you guys wrote. When did you start your writing relationship with Huey? Was it your first album, or was it when you got to the second album? When did you start? No, it, was, doing... it was right away. Um, I remember, uh, you know, we we used to have these writing sessions over at uh, Johnny's apartment in Novato, and uh, and. Uh, you know, we went up there, uh, the first time I went up there, and, and they had a couple of songs that we were going to put on this demo, right, and, and uh, we're learning the songs, and I'm thinking, shoot, I'm a pretty good songwriter, I can write songs, and I said, you know, hey, I can write songs too, and, uh, and uh, you know, and they were like, okay, great, so, um, you know, it wasn't until we actually got the record deal, and uh, the first record, uh, which was on Chrysalis, um, and, um, you know, that's when I started writing and uh, and Huey liked to write all the lyrics, so uh, you know I was just writing music, um, so it was fun. You know it it was great. I, I ended up writing I don't know I can't remember how many songs on that first album, maybe three or four songs or something like that. So that was that was really cool for me. Um, being twenty two years old, I'm thinking, shoot, this is great. I get to write songs and got the songs on the album and stuff. And, you know, I mean that first album didn't do any. We only sold fifty thousand copies or something, but. Uh, it's a great old. It's a great album. You know? Now your second album, yeah, became put you guys more in the spotlight. Well, and, and I think yeah. maybe because you had a, you, as they say, you had a little bit of a different sound when you when you were writing for that sound because it is you know like the guitar. It's not, and it's a bigger group. How do you write yeah. all the parts? Like when you write a song, do you write the sax parts, or do you just put like in the writing, you know, break sax break? How do you go about writing for? 
instruments that you personally don't play? Well, you know, we all kind of, uh, kind of you know, it, it's, uh, you know, arranging and writing are two different things. You know, arranging music is different than writing music. You know what I'm saying? Right. So writing music is, is you know, it's, it's all about coming up with an idea. And arranging music is taking an idea and producing it and arranging it and arranging those parts. So what we, we used to do is, you know, I mean, the writers, uh, you know, got credit for writers. And that's what you, that's what the way that it works. And then uh, arranging wise, we all kind of pitched in and arranged it. So, uh, you know, and and most of the time with parts and stuff, unless like a lot of times I, I might have an idea for a keyboard part. And I say, hey, Sean, what do you think about this? And you go, great. Yeah, that's pretty OK. But I think it needs to be a little better. <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? So, and so, you know, and keyboard players, he was um, obviously a much better keyboard player than I was. So he would, you know, come up with a, uh, the part that he wanted to play. Uh, same thing with the horns. And Johnny liked to arrange horns and stuff like that. So that was kind of what he liked to do. So and then, you know. So you're writing the songs, you're, you know, and then now Picture This comes out. And I think it was pretty much MTV was big then, and everyone remembers the, uh, the video. Um, do you believe in love? That's where you guys' heads yeah. are in the sand the whole time. And uh, oh no, that's that, that, that's it. This is it. That's, oh, that's that it. Okay, that's it. I'm sorry, I got him confused. Um, what is did MTV like? I you're right because working for a living was a was stripped down. It was more of a, a piece. What was it like for you guys to shoot a video? And was it perfect timing for you because MTV basically really propelled a lot of bands forward. Yeah, uh, that, that was uh, the, the cool thing about, and probably one of the one of the things that really helped us in our career was the fact that MTV was just starting out, and um, also that the first single on the second album, uh, "Do You Believe in Love," written by Mutt Langa, um, you know the producer guy um, who did work with ACDC and right. uh, Def, Def Leppard and shot Shania Twain, and all you know, he's, he's a great producer and a great songwriter. Um, he wrote, Do You Believe in Love? So, you know, that song pretty much got us on the map um, and then got us on the Parallel One stations, and, and it was sort of a minor, it was a top ten hit. It wasn't a number one, but it was, I think it went to number six or something like that. And uh, so, so consequently, you know, we had to do a video for that. And the guy that... Um, that was at KFRC at the time was a guy named Les Garland, and he's the guy that started MTV. Um, he, he was familiar with us because he was the program director at KFRC, which was the local station in San Francisco, the Parallel One station. So um, he, you know, he kind of got us on, the, you know, got us into the MTV thing, you know, in a lot of ways, he, because he knew who we were and he was willing to play the thing, you know. And that, that I think, made a big difference. Being on MTV obviously helped a lot, um, and then of course we made a, a few other videos on that second album. <clears throat> now, now uh, the, the video. Yeah. What was the video process like then? I know, like a lot of times, I, I've always heard that you know you did a video, your band started getting very big, which you guys were one of the biggest bands in the world. When you, when that happens, all of a sudden the record companies would want to bring in a different director and be a higher budget i mean did you notice that when you guys were starting out like because you, you you have do you believe in love is is popular so all of a sudden there's someone you can bank in but it seems like they always wanted to charge the band for the video and they upped the price yeah you know uh, it was uh you know i i didn't really pay a lot of attention to all that stuff i was just you know i was pretty young and and uh and, you know, I couldn't be bothered with all that stuff. But, yeah, it was, you know, to me, videos were sort of a pain in the ass. I, I didn't really enjoy making them all that much um, because, you know, our part as, as band members really were, you know, we'd have to sit around and wait for our shots to come up. And a lot of the shots were Huey shots. And then there was whatever incidental storyline that they, you know what I mean? So anybody that has done any sort of, film production knows that it's, it's really pretty tedious, you know, it's not really all that much fun. Um, but that being said, I mean, yeah, they, uh, you know, the record company, I don't know, they did whatever they did. I didn't really pay much attention to the financials of it. So, um, I, I couldn't really speak to that. You know what I mean? Now, now you guys are getting bigger. Now, do you remember the first time you heard 
one of your songs on the radio? I do. Yeah, it was great. I, I do remember that. It wasn't my song, but the first time that I heard uh, Do You Believe in Love on the radio was pretty interesting because I was driving across the, the Golden Gate Bridge and I was driving in my green VW, which was pretty beat up, you know. Um, and I was driving across the, the Golden Gate Bridge and, and right when I went through the toll booth, Do You Believe in Love comes on the radio. And I go, oh, whoa, this is awesome. <laughs> And it was on KFRC, you know, and I, I was listening to KFRC. And just before that, they had played uh, Pablo Cruz's uh, uh, What You Gonna Do When You Say Goodbye. You know that song? Right, Remember yeah. That one? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and then, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, they played You Believe in Love, and I'm like, all right, we're, we're almost as big as Pablo Cruz now. This is really great. <laughs> you know, it was, pretty, it was kind of funny. You know, looking back on it, uh, but I was I was pretty excited because uh, you know we, we we thought Pablo Cruz was, was pretty sweet, and they're all great guys and everything. And they they were really nice to us and everything. But uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Now, now, what was it like for you, you guys? You know, you're hearing yourself on the radio. You're you're getting your own MTV. You're you're a young guy. I mean, you you know you're you're getting these accolades early. How does it change your life? And do people start recognizing you because of MTV? Well, yeah, that that happened a little bit later when um, when the third album came out, um, and we made a bunch of videos on that record. Then, I, yeah, it, I actually became famous just because I was in the videos, which was really weird for me. Uh, because before that, on that second album, I, you know, people really didn't pay that much attention to me. But uh, on that third record, that was when we, you know, sports when we had the, that was a, a pretty big album, um, and so. When that happened and when we went on the road um, and, and they started playing those videos in heavy rotation, I used to, I remember I, we used to go like to the malls and stuff and teenage girls would recognize us, which was really weird. I mean, because all of a sudden, uh, you know, you go from no, nobody knowing who the hell you are to girls following you around the mall, you know, and, and giggling. <laughs> it was pretty weird, I got you know, and then and then it just it, for a while there it was really, I mean it was a, it, it was pretty uh, intense, you know, for for a couple of years there, and then it sort of started to wane a little bit, but but yeah, um, uh, sports and four during that period it was you know there was definitely some notoriety going on. <clears throat> Now, how is it, you know, because as you said, the, the, your albums kept getting bigger after the second one. How did your touring change? Did you go from, you know, when you um, picture this, what kind of venues you were playing? And then as uh, the next album came out, the sports, were your venues getting bigger? How long did it take you to trans trans uh, go from the smaller places to all of a sudden headlining? Big, big places. Yeah, well, yeah, that was pretty interesting the way that all happened because uh, the second album uh, we we did a college tour and, uh, and and college and colleges and clubs, you know, and toured a lot for that on that working for a living tour, uh, which was the second album. Uh, so we toured our guts out on that one, um, and then the third album we we uh, we they released um, Heart and Soul, which was another song that was written by somebody else. Uh, it was written by uh, Nick Chapman and Mickey Chin. Uh, who wrote uh, uh, some stuff for Pat Benatar and uh, and uh, what's her name? Uh, ah, shoot, I can't remember her name. Oh, Mickey, but a pity. Oh, Tony, uh, Tony Basil. Uh, yeah, T Tony Basil, thank you. Uh, yeah, so uh, anyway, those guys wrote um, um, Heart and Soul, right? And that was became number, that went number one. And at that time, we were opening up for 38 Special. And uh, we did a tour with Loverboy, and we did a tour with 38 Special, and um, opening up for them. So when we started that tour with 38 Special, that was when they released Heart and Soul. By the end of that tour, which was about a month long, people were starting to, you know, they were starting to sing the song at the show. And, and I mean, you know, people knew that song because it went to number one. So by the end of that month, you know, they were... They knew who we were, you know, and they were singing along and everything. It was it was pretty intense. And then the next, uh, and we were playing uh, basketball arenas at that time, opening up for 38 Special, because they were pretty big back then. 
Uh, and then uh, after that tour, right, immediately after that tour, we went on another tour and played all of those basketball arenas as headliners. Uh, you know, shortly thereafter, because you know we were trying to strike while the iron was hot, and so we were we ended up pretty in a pretty short uh, amount of time going from opening up for Thirty Eight Special to headlining those same venues, which were you know between you know twelve and twenty thousand seaters, which was you know that part of it went pretty fast. Now, all the all the other stuff before that, you know, we we worked our guts out for two or three years. You know what I mean? Playing nightclubs and stuff. So it wasn't like it was some sort of meteoric rise or anything. But it, but that particular portion of it was pretty quick now, because of MTV and because of the fact that we had the number one single on and sports, you know, blew up and it was it was huge stuff. Now, when you were when you were touring, you know, as you said, you went from opener to headliner, very, you know quickly because you were very getting very popular do you feel as a band member or as a band do you feel a difference in energy from the crowd when you're the opener from the headliner because i would think as the opener you got to sell yourself off the bat because they're, they're there to see another band but as a headliner they're there to see you how is, as a performer does that affect you or doesn't it because it's still just a live show well you know if, if, if you're if you're self-aware in any way uh some people, you know, are, are oh, there's awarenesses at different levels in human beings, you know. So if, if uh, some people, it doesn't bother them. They just go up there and they play and they have a great, but, but for me, I have to say that, you know, obviously, and probably for most people, um, it's obviously it's better when people know your music and you are the headliner than it is to open a show. I mean, opening a show is, it, it's great, um, if you have some sort of notoriety and you get to open and then go backstage and drink and have a good time because and let them finish because actually it's better. I mean, you have a lot more fun. But when you're the headliner, you know you have to put on a show. You got to you got to be there for you know you got to play for a couple hours. So um, you know you, you sort of have it's it's a whole different thing. But it is energy wise, um, it's a lot more fun when people have come to see you, obviously, um, than being the opening act, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's more fun. Now, as you become bigger, I'm sure there's pressures on the band because their next, your next album has to do well. What's the what's the mind thought? You know, because after sports, you know, it was it was huge. Everyone loved it. Then now you have to re- you follow it. What is is it is what's your mindset? Is it comparable to like let's say a team that wins a Super Bowl that they feel they have to come back the next year and they put pressure on themselves? Or was it something where you guys said, you know what, we're we're clicking. This is going to be good. Let's not put extra pressure on ourselves. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's always pressure um, when you're a writer um, in the band, you know, you, you know, and you're, you know, we just came off sports, for example, and then we, we go to record four and we got to come up with, you know, we got to come up with a bunch of songs. I mean, and more than 10 because you need 10 for the album. So, so we just, you know, just started hammering it. And yeah, there was definitely some pressure to try to come up with something good and, and to, to keep the momentum going because, you know, nobody wants to just, be a one-hit wonder type band. I mean, that's. I mean, it's okay, but it's not as good as having some sort of longevity. Um, you know, so yeah, there was definitely some pressure to uh, to write some good material. So four actually was was pretty decent in terms of um, of its public acceptance, and we had a couple of good singles on there. And um, strangely, "Power of Love," our biggest song wasn't never on any of our albums except for the greatest hit stuff so because that one was with the movie right right so and and it, it was never on any of the albums so that was a little odd you know because when four came out uh, we we were recording for it and i think i think power love came out after uh, i can't remember when what the timeline was but so yeah that was a little odd but um you know, yeah, there was definitely some pressure to uh, to, to to do that. And then uh, when the fifth record, when we started working on the fifth record, um, you know, it was more like, well, let's try something a little different. And I think that was sort of the beginning of where we may have lost some of the people that, you know, I, I mean, not to say that it, it was it was a good record. I liked it. But um, I think that was when, when the thing started 
started maybe losing some of its momentum. Well, you know what's weird is, you know, when you said, like you said, it started losing the momentum and you like the album, and it is a good album, but what's weird is, you know, people, they get used to a certain sound, but they never take it into account that as musicians and as artists, you're growing. You know what I mean? It's like your, your views change, so you're like, you know what? We've done this. We want to branch off. But it's funny that people, only the fans, like your true fans, notice that because you don't want to hear everything that sounds exactly the same because you're like, okay, we've heard this before. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Uh, you know, it, it cuts both ways. You know, some some people just, and I understand uh, people wanting to hear, you know, they're nostalgic. You know, people like to, people like comfort. And they like to hear things that sound like, you know, they want the record to be similar to the last one, maybe a little bit different, but, you know, generally speaking, they, they kind of want the same sort of thing again, you know what I mean? And, and then, but the artist, on the other hand, is thinking, wow, we really got to try something different, you know, blah, 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 you know, depending on what level of that you're at, you know, uh, your personal preferences and such. But, uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of a funny thing that happens, and... Uh, you see it happening uh, where, you know, it's not uncommon for uh, for the uh, the timeline to happen the way that it happened for us. Well, now here's a question for you: When your albums were coming out, the earlier albums, you know, as you said, some pe- you would you would write some songs like you know, and you would write some songs with Huey, and then other people would write songs that were not in the band. How did they get looped into the process? Because it seemed like you guys had the writing pretty well covered because you all had writing ability. So it's like, why would, would the record company say we want you to play this song? Or why would you bring in outside writers when you guys all had, it's obvious, very good writing chops? Well, you know, um, I guess, you know, the, the whole thing was there was always the uh, the idea that, hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with bringing on, if, if somebody has a hit that's that, we're pretty sure it's going to be some sort of major hit. Why not? Why not use it, right? I mean, because it could be the difference between, you know, selling a million copies or not selling a million copies. You know what I mean? If you had a great single on an album, you could ha- still have all the other songs on there, and you know. So I think that was the thinking behind that, really. And uh, so, and, and also there is a little bit of pressure from the record company. You know, they, they want a, a hit single. So if they don't hear one with the stuff that you have, they're going to, you know, they're going to want you to look elsewhere for material and they're going to want to either they're going to have people or, you know, they're, they're going to be maybe friends of friends in the band or people that Huey know, you know what I mean? It's, and then also you've got people sending stuff in. I mean, you know, when, when you get to a point where you've started to sell some records, then people start sending music in in hopes that you'll cover their song so you get a lot of that so uh you know you listen to it you know that that was part of our gig that you know we'd have to like you know take a couple of demo tapes home and and go through them and you know listen to you know demos now now what's the feeling what's the feeling when you have a number one hit is there a certain feeling like you're like Man, this is awesome, man! Everyone can kiss. Yeah. Everyone can yeah. kiss my ass. We're number one. What is it like when you yeah. look at? Because the, then you know a lot of the younger listeners don't, don't understand. Back then, you know, it was Billboard. It wasn't online. You know, you had the Billboard yeah. paper, yeah. and and you opened it up, and I you would see all the listing and and what is it like when you look at it and you're like, that's my band. I mean, what's the feeling you have? Is it like total accomplishment? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. It's a big effing deal. It really is. It's huge. When when that happens to you, I got to say, you know, it's, it's probably one of the best things. I mean, the, you know, in terms of accomplishment, and, and, you know, we all like to accomplish that. Accomplishing things and, and, and making dreams come true is, is an amazing thing. It's, it's, it's one of the best things that we do as human beings, right? That's what we do that, that makes us, Probably one of the greatest things that we do is that we we get ideas and then we accomplish our goals and then we do something else. And and you know if it wasn't for that, there, you know we we'd all be sitting around in caves still. Right. So you know, uh, you know, so uh, it, uh, that you know that 
kind of shot of dopamine for your brain when, when something like that happens. It's like a huge, it's like taking a drug. I mean, it just makes you feel really, really good. Except there's no, you know, there's no downside really, except for the, I don't know. I mean, there, there is some downside, but it's a little more complex. And, you know, if you start thinking that, you know, so if you start believing what people are telling you about who you are <laughs> or who they think you are, right. <laughs> I mean, you have to, you have to, you got to knock yourself down a little bit, right? Now, Otherwise, uh, yeah. now that was, an, you know, you had the number one hit. Now, what was it like playing on We Are The World? I mean, was that a real honor for you guys? Because you, your whole band played, I believe, and it's something that was f- such a great cause. How did that come about? Do you know? Um, yeah, it was like, um, I think that that was like after the uh, uh, I think it was the American Music Awards, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and and we had a year there in the American Music Awards where we 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 were huge, and we we did really well. We won a bunch of awards, and then after that American Music Awards show, uh, you know, they were they were doing that recording, and they invited us to come and sing. You know, I mean, it was really just kind of because we were there at the American Music Awards. They invited everybody that was there. It was pretty cool. It really was. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they invited everybody, but you know, they invited us, which was fantastic because you know, I remember walking in the door and there's Bob Dylan and Stevie Stevie Wonder. You know, you know what I mean? That was to me when that night on that night that was what I was looking around and and just going, oh my god. Thank you, God. Right. I'm here. I, I think I, I think I'm here. I'm here with all these people that I idolize. They're just people, but here I am with them, and I'm doing this with. Them. I mean, it was just. It was. It was. It blew my mind. I gotta say. I mean, it really was an amazing thing. And and yeah, we we were lucky to and and blessed to have been allowed to go and do that. It was amazing. Michael Jackson, you know, for God's sake. I'm right. in the bathroom. There's, there's Michael Jackson taking a leak. I mean, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what the hell? Yeah. This is great. Yeah, you guys you guys are so big. And is that is it hard to be in a band where there's a... The lead singer is very dynamic. You know, people... You know, I know he started doing movies. Does that make it easier for you guys because the pressure's not on you? Or what's it like when the, the Huey is just such a, you know, charismatic figure? What is that? Does that make it easier for a band? I think so. I mean, I, it did for me. I, you know, I, it was great because as a, as a side man, you can just sort of go along for the ride and, and, and you get all the benefits of being famous without actually having to be as famous, which is nice. It's actually a lot better. I mean, nowadays, shoot, I can go, I can go shopping at whatever grocery store I want. And nobody knows who the hell I am. Right. So it's, you know, and they, and back then, I mean, yeah, there was a period when I, people knew who I was, but nowadays, I mean, I really would have to tell somebody, you know, who I who I used to be. <laughs> you know, nobody really cares anymore. So, so you know, but uh, that's okay. Uh, you know, but back then, yeah, it was actually kind of nice because, uh, you know, he, he took a lot of the flack and, and a lot of the pressure off of all of us. We, we were just allowed to sort of go along for the ride, which was pretty, pretty cool. Now, now after uh, Small World, you know, the next album was three years, the next album three years, and then the next album was seven years, six years, and you had already left the band by then, I believe. Um what was the delay in albums? Was it something that just, it was creative process or you had other things going on or what happened? Was it, why did it take three years between each album? Uh, you know, we, well, we were working a lot. We were working, we were going on the road and playing shows still. So, you know, and then we, we, uh, after that fifth or the sixth album, which was what, Hard at Play or whatever. Right. That was when we started, we started doing corporate shows at that time. We, we used to go and play shows for like IBM, you know, Toyota, they'd have their, their conventions or whatever, you know, and they paid us a whole bunch of money and we'd just go and play for them. And that was actually, you know, I gotta say that was a lot of fun because I remember we, we stayed in, uh, in Miami for, uh, for, for three weeks and played, um, 
like four shows for IBM in those two, those two or three weeks or whatever. Four shows a week. It was great. Right. You know? Yeah, it was freaking awesome. Well, that was the beginning of the whole corporate thing. Where, you know, um, Michael Jackson sort of got everybody, you know, with that, that Pepsi deal that he did and all that. You know, that was kind of when all that stuff started. But, you know, that was kind of a, a nice period because we didn't have the pressure of going out on the road and filling arenas. Um, you know, you know, and the critics kind of didn't really like us all that much at that point. You know, they, 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 the bloom was off the rose for them. You know, it was like, uh, we were starting to get panned and, uh, for, for being, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. I, I don't really remember much of it because I didn't pay. I, I stopped reading all that stuff um, after the first few years. <clears throat> well, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned the corporate shows because, and I, I can't remember what year, but I lived in San Diego for six years before I lived in L.A. So this is, we're going back a while. Yeah. And uh-huh. I remember I lived in the gas lamp district when it was just building yeah. up. And I was on, I used to smoke cigarettes, and I was on our balcony smoking a cigarette, and it was when the convention center was just building up, and you guys were playing there. Because I remember sitting there yeah. going, I'm sitting there going, what the hell? I'm like, there's nothing, and I'm like, that sounds like Huey Lewis the News, and I could hear you from our place, and it was so cool. And then someone said later, I believe it was a corporate gig you did. Yeah, yeah, that, that, I, I remember doing a couple corporates down there in San Diego, yeah. So, you know, that, that's, I think that's the reason why, you know, we did that sixth album at, uh, at Skywalker and, um, and, um, you know, when that one, after that one came out, I don't really remember after that, it, it, yeah, there was a long period of time when we didn't do an album. I think we, we, uh, that was our last Chrysalis album, I think, or that was when, uh, Chrysalis got sold to, uh, uh EMI or whatever it was, right? Right. Anyway, there was there was some record company crap going on, or we, we weren't on Christmas anymore. We got you know we ended up signing with EMI, and then and then you know it was like uh, there, there was a, a bunch of stuff going on where that was kind of out of our control, and um, and uh, you know and then we did that four chords from several years ago album, and that was that didn't do all that well. Uh, it was fun, but eh, it was like, cool. and then at, at that point, it was I think that was. You know, that was it. <clears throat> but, you know, the, we still made the other record, which is a pretty good record. It's just that, you know, when you reach a certain point in your career, you're not going to be selling records like, uh, I mean, even the Rolling Stones don't sell that many records, and they're freaking huge. Right. You know what I'm saying? They, they don't, they don't they, when they make a record, they, they, don't, they don't even need to bother even doing that. We go out on the road. That's where most of these people are making all their money now, also, because especially now with the with the uh, streaming uh, and uh, the way things, the, the way the record business is going now, um, you know, people are making all their money on the road. That's where they make their money. So, so after you know, you left in two thousand, I believe. Um, first of yeah. all, when when you did, what was the reason when you decide to leave? Because you know we all say, oh, being a rock star is so cool, but it's it it has to be it has to take a toll on you with all the travel. I mean, it's it's you know people don't understand like, oh yeah, but you're traveling, you know, in a big bus, but it's like you're still traveling, you're still constantly having. I mean, it takes a lot of energy. Did it just burn you out, or is it just something that you know you saw the music scene going differently, or did you just get tired of constantly touring? Well, you know, it was a combination of a lot of different things, but uh, you know, sleep deprivation is, is terrible. Um, you know, traveling is really hard on your body. Um, I, in 1997, my second son was born, um, and I just decided, hey, you know. I don't know if I really want to do this anymore because I, I missed my first son when, when he was born. Uh, he was born in 1985. So, you know, I, I missed a lot of his really important parts of his life, you know what I mean? Because I was gone all the time. I mean, I was also able to spend a lot of time with him, but, you know, um, but not as much as I wanted to. And then, uh, you know, when my second son was born, uh, with my second wife, I... I you know, he was born in 97, and, and I toured for a while, and then it was like, hey, you know, I don't know if I really want to do this anymore. I just, 
you know, I love the guys and everything, and this is really fun. I, I enjoyed the music and everything, but I just felt like I wanted to hang out with my family. Well, and, uh, you know, and there were some other things that happened to me, but nothing, you know, it was, it was, it was all pretty, it, it was, it was just a, a few different things where I just felt like, you know, I think I'm going to step aside and, uh, and let, because they, they, those guys wanted to keep on working a whole bunch. You know, they wanted to work more and more and more because that's where all, all the money is, you know what I'm saying? But I have, sort of, have always lived pretty frugally and, uh, and I was like, you know, I don't really need to do this anymore. Uh, I, 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 I think I can, I can live with the lifestyle that I'm living right now and I can, I can just not do this anymore. So I decided that, that I was going to do that. And, and that was a, a big decision and a big choice. And, um, you know, now, I'm glad I did. To tell you the truth, I mean, you know, I, I've had a pretty good life uh, since I retired too. Well, no, it's a completely different life, but right. it's a good life. It's really good, you know. So. Now, how do you how do you go in to tell the band you're breaking up? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm divorced, <laughs> so you know, it's like when you're divorced, you have to figure this out, and you have to pull, get your balls up and go. You know what? This isn't working anymore. But as a well, band yeah, member, right. how do What's that? That's not, it, it wasn't fun, I'll tell you that. I, you know, I mean, it was hard. I, I had to go to Huey. I went to Huey, you know. I said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. And, of course, you know, then they tried, kind of tried to talk me out of it a little bit. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going for a while. And then, so, so I did. I, I, I kept going for like another six months. And then, and then I went, you know. I really, and then I went back to Huey again, and I said, you know what, I really don't think that I can do it. He goes, okay, you know, I, I get it, I totally get it. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, all the guys were great. So, but, yeah, it, it's, it's nice. it doesn't matter how nice people are, it's, that's still a very difficult thing to do. Because, you know, when you tell somebody, hey, I don't want to do this anymore, it's sort of, you're sort of saying, hey, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be doing this with you, right? <laughs> you know, it, it just doesn't feel good, right? <laughs> but, you know, I didn't mean it like that. I just, it, it was a personal thing for me. It wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It was, yeah. It was a, a, a choice that I had to make for myself to feel good about my existence. Yeah, so. and, and, and the funny thing is a lot of people wouldn't have left, and if you probably it didn't leave, you probably would have become miserable, and it would have probably damaged things. Yeah, and, you know, there were a lot of things going on. I, I just, you know, it, it's a lot harder to make really good choices. I was had kind of discovered my, my Christian side, you know, and and um, and, and it, it, I'm not saying that, that it was like debauchery that was going on, but, it, but, you know, just the thing is, is, you know, just staying up late and having a couple drinks even after a while, it's like, you know, you might make choices that aren't so great. You, know, you might drink too much, and then you're, you know, you're having hangovers all the time, and then you're not sleeping, and then you might make some other stupid. Change. You know, it's, it's like it's like playing on the train tracks. Right. It's not. It's not a good idea if you don't want to get run over by a train. So, right? so now, now after you leave the band, after you leave yeah. the band, what is that yeah. first year like? Because you don't understand. You know, you had a life that. People dream of, you know, you, you yeah. performed, and that was your life for so long. What is it yeah. like that? I mean, how long did it take you to desensitize from someone oh saying, I'm not going on stage tonight? How long did it take you? Oh, my God, it took so long. I mean, you know, I have to say, um, when it, first of all, just getting over the sleep deprivation took me years. I, 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 I had trouble sleeping for years. Because I just couldn't sleep through the damn night, and, and then now I can't sleep through the night for different reasons. But you know, but back then it was like, uh, you, you know, you, you get used to sleep deprivation, and it's hard. It, you know, you go. I, it, it took me years to get over, uh, and uh, just to, to get. It took me years to just get into a regular sleeping cycle, for one, and then number two, you know, not having the circus. You know, hanging out with the guys and the camaraderie and everything else, and the, you know what I mean. That part of it was was difficult because all of a sudden, you know, I'm just just me and my family and my friends and stuff, and it, it was a completely different life. So it, it it was a little. It took some getting used to, and it probably took me four or five years to sort of 
get to a point where I felt like I was sort of, you know, more normal again. And, and, but I, you know, strangely, even 20 years later, I still have dreams about working and playing in the band. That's, that's... Which is, which, which is bizarre. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I, I mean, and I don't know why I, I'm sure there's some shrink out there who might know why, but uh, I don't. It, it's weird though. Now, yeah. <laughs> now, did you? No, that's just that is crazy. That's funny. But we all like I used to. We always joke around. Anyone who ever waited tables in their life, they have the waiter dream where all of a sudden yeah. you're, people just keep coming in and keeping coming in. And I haven't waited tables <laughs> for years. But you wake up, and you're like, oh my god, I just got sat eight tables, and it makes no sense. Yeah. But I think it's because it's a past part of our life. Now, did it in the beginning when you were when you left the band? Did you miss the the high? from that applause, from performing, and just seeing a crowd loving you. Did you miss that at all in the beginning when you left? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, anybody who says they don't miss that is a liar. (laughs) Because, you know, it's great. And, uh, yes, I did miss it a lot. I I didn't understand what it was, but, I, you know, looking back on it, yeah, I think that that had a lot to do with it. Because it gives you a sense of purpose, and, you know, it makes you feel you have an elevated sense of self when people are you know telling you and clapping for you and yelling and telling you how great you are and everything else you know and and then when you don't have that you have to find some self-esteem for yourself you know what i'm saying yeah it's it's hard man (laughs) but you know what everybody has to do that it's not it's just part of being human you know i think that People who, who, who have that kind of notoriety are the lucky ones because they get that. Um, everybody else has to work for it, <laughs> right? Yeah, now, now you, so you missed that, but now did you, did you not play the guitar for a while when you first left, or did you, did you keep playing? I mean, was it something you said, no, I, I'm making a I clean break? Playing. No, I kept playing. I, 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 kept, I, I'm, I still play. I don't play a whole bunch now uh, because it kind of hurts me a little bit, um, but um, I still play, though. I, you know, I'll play a couple times a week. I'll sit down for like half an hour and just play as fast as I can for about a half an hour until it hurts and then I quit. But, no, <laughs> and I, but, then, uh, you know, no, yeah, I was say real quick. Fun. But yeah. when you, when you first left the band, did you did you yeah. take a little time off from playing? Yeah, a little bit, but uh, but shortly thereafter, I kind of yeah because I had other hobbies and things that I liked to do. I, I was at that time I was playing a lot of golf and I was you know fishing a lot and stuff like that. Um, and I just wanted to kind of hang out with family. And so I just kind of did that and did a lot of gardening. You know, I, I was, I'm, I'm way into gardening. So, uh, you know, that's fun. Uh, all those things were, were fun. And that kind of, you know, I, but I, I, I did take a little bit of a break from playing. And then I, I you know, uh, eventually put together like a jazz combo and just kind of play around town every once in a while um, just to keep my, you know, make sure I could still play. And, and that was fun. You know, we, we never, we didn't have any sort of notoriety of any kind. I mean, I, I do these gigs and, and, you know, maybe 20 people would show up if that, and they didn't even come there to see me. Right. They just were there to get drunk. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so, uh, they, so that was pretty uh, uh, humbling. Um, and, but, but, you know, a lot of, most of the time when people did come and they started listening to music, they were like, Oh, that's that dude from Huey Lewis. Wow. You know, that's pretty cool that what they're doing there. And, and you'd see people kind of, you know, by the end of the night, they're like, yeah, that, these guys are pretty good. Because I was playing with, the, you know, I had some guys that I was playing with that were great. I mean, you know, Tim Haggerty and uh, Tom Hayashi and Mike Lufkin, you know, various people, you know, local Sonoma County people and stuff. And, you know, it was, it was fun. Now, I had a lot of fun, fun doing that. So I enjoyed that, but I never really wanted to take it past you know, it, because having a band is, is like herding cats. It's really not all that much fun. <laughs> because you know, you always got to. You know, everybody's got something else to do when you when you're when you're not. You know, like a professional music. I mean, these guys were all professionals, but they were all busy doing other stuff. So it's like, okay, oh, you're today. Well, yeah, I can do it. I can do it too. Well, uh, yeah, I can't do it that day. You know, and then before you know it, it's like, okay, well, I guess we're not going to rehearse for another three weeks, are we? You know, because yeah. you, know, you, can't, you can't get three guys to, to be in the same place at the same time, right? I mean, it's not like I was paying them a whole bunch of money to rehearse with me. You know, so, uh, you know it, 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 so 
that, and then it was also the thing of, well, why would I want to make a career for myself doing this when I quit the biggest, you know, one of the biggest bands in the world, right? It, it defeat, defeated the purpose of what I did in 2000. Right. Right? Right? That's, that's true. That makes so much sense. Because, yeah, so and now and you can look. Yeah, I mean, why would I do that? Unless, if, I, I might as well have just stayed in the band. Exactly. Now, do you still do you still keep yeah. in touch with the guys? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I talk to Huey from time to time. You know, uh, we we talk about fishing a lot. <laughs> and uh, you know, yeah, I, I we we talk to each other probably you know five six times a year. So, um, and then I talked to Johnny the other day. We had a nice chat on the phone, um, and I talked to Bill for a couple of minutes. Um, I haven't talked to Sean for a while, but it's been a few years probably three or four years since I talked to Sean. But yeah, you know, I, I you know, those guys are great. They're, they're, you know, I spent so much time with those guys. It's like, uh, they're like family to me. Um, I, I actually spent more time with those guys than I spent with my actual family. Right. That's... Because I spent tw- 22 years with them or whatever. Um, you know, with my family, I only spent 18 years with them. So, <clears throat> so, so what, what, what's a day like now for you? Like, like, do you still fish a lot? Do you still golf a lot? What is, what is, you know, a retired rock and roller? What does a retired rock and roller do? Well, you know, I, I've done a lot of different things from time to, from time, to time. But now what I'm doing, I, 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 I like to fish a lot. And um, I'm living in Reno, and I, I, I like to fish the Truckee River. That's a lot of fun. But um, actually what I'm doing right now, my wife and I just adopted a dog. Uh, a rescue dog okay. and my wife my wife was fostering dogs because our we had a dog for quite a while that passed away last year and she was pretty broken up about it and, and she decided well i'm gonna foster dogs for a while and i was like you know i don't really want a dog so fostering dogs is great for me because i wanted a break from the dog thing because my my kids were my my daughter was has i just got her into college she just started college in the fall. So we were empty nesters. And I'm like, shoot, I want to be able to, you know, I don't want the responsibility of it, right? <laughs> so but, so I thought fostering is going to be great. So um, so we, we've been fostering dogs, and that's fun. Fostering dogs is great. But we had a foster fail where uh, we, we got the dog adopted, and then 24 hours later the adopted people said, uh, we don't want the dog. He went after one of our chickens. And we told him, "Hey, you better you better protect your chickens because he's probably going to go after one. He's a puppy for crying out loud. Right. Chicken tastes good, right? <laughs> so you know, so so uh, you know, we ended up uh, getting the dog back. And then my wife really liked the, the puppy, so we decided, oh, what I, you know, I relented because it's always good to just do what your wife says. <laughs> I know. And, I, just, um, I just got married in so, September. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know, you know, to go against the woman. So you know." So uh, I, I just went, yeah, you know what? I think we can do this. And, and I and I actually come to, it's been about two months now, and I really enjoy having a dog again. Um, it's great. And we're, so we were involved in dog training and all that stuff, and we've watched all of Cesar Milan's shows, you know. <laughs> it, it, it becomes sort of an obsession, I, you know, I, I must say. You know, you know how people are with their pets. It, it, it's a little wacky because I've never... I mean, I've had dogs for on and off. Uh, I, I had like you know, attack trained dogs and all all kinds of crazy dogs and you know this dog and that dog and I I, I enjoy dogs, um, uh, but right now that's what we're doing. So that's pretty much filling up our day right now. <laughs> oh, and uh, we uh, we did uh, decide since we're empty nesters now that we're going to ski a little bit since we're down in Reno because you know there's a lot of great skiing. Right. right up, right up, right up the road. So we're going to take up skiing again. And I, I actually, uh, what I do most of the time though is I go to the gym and work out. I'm into powerlifting, uh, not like super heavy duty powerlifting, but more like therapeutic powerlifting. Um, you know, deadlifts, squats, um, chest press, and uh, so I work out a lot. I work out like three or four days a week. Uh, That's good. I, do, I have to yeah, go to the gym. Yeah, yeah, me too. If I don't go to the gym, I go berserk. Okay. So, uh, I, you know, and, and I think it's probably because of all those years that I spent, um, you know, uh, in front of audiences, and I got used to that dopamine hit. You know, I got I got to have some endorphins and some dopamine, otherwise, um, I start to feel kind of kind of crazy. Right. Uh, 
so uh, and it's just like everybody else. You know, you got to go to the gym. You got to keep moving. Uh, I'm 62 years old now. I got a bad hip. You know, it's you know, the hip to be square kind of came true. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, you pretty, know, pretty much. Pretty much. I I want to thank you for taking the time. I'm a huge fan of Huey Lewis, and, you know, and it's so funny. It was after uh, was I need a new drug? Uh, I I went out and bought a red blazer after that video, <laughs> <laughs> and I can admit that because I was an '80s guy. I'm 56, so I was that was yeah. like when I was in. But it, it was great talking to you. Now, people, just go get those early. Huey Lewis albums, and you'll listen to his guitar work, and it's awesome. And you know, and then you can say, "Hey, I know, I sort of know that guy." So people, check out, uh, check out Huey Lewis's all his older albums, and you know, you'll find Chris on them. And uh, look, look him up. You know, look up Chris, and also uh, look me up on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. Uh, website CooperTalk.net. You can find over 770 episodes. Email me Cooper at CooperTalk.net. And Instagram is CooperTalk1. So remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.